This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. It is Tuesday night. That means it's on the beat live. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyT-Shirt.com. With the On The Beat Live comes Greg Barnes and Gregory Hall, the usual trifecta, the three of us here. Of course, I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. And again, Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com are our sponsors. Um, guys, it has been an interesting few days since uh, Saturday night in Atlanta concluded. Greg, I will start with you first. I do not want to rehash, but some of the press conference comments – that I've heard from the coaches this week sort of make me want to double take and look back. Let's talk about a couple things from those and get right into it. Communication issues on the defense. I think it was pretty clear when Jeremiah Gimmel's backs to the line of scrimmage more than once trying to get people lined up that there are communication issues. Am I wrong or is Jay Bateman just coach speaking there? Uh, I'm sure there's there's certainly some of that going on. Um, and look, we, we've talked about this before, but uh, Jay kind of follows in the Mac Brown mindset of he's not going to say anything negative about his players in press conferences. He's a very positive coach in front of the microphone. And credit to him for, for being that way. A lot of coaches are not. Uh, but if you're expecting him in, in front of a, congregation of, of reporters to blast on somebody or talk about errors and those kind of things, it's not going to happen. And if you're that way to begin with, I think, you know, if there are any issues that pop up, you're probably going to uh, maybe slide over those gloss over those a little bit as well. Clearly there was a number of plays. Uh, I mean, somebody, somebody put a Jeff on, on the board of one play where there was like three or four guys looking over to the sideline, like, Hey, what's the play? What's the play? So that, that's an issue. And the fact that this is not the first time we've seen that. Um, I mean, Virginia tech, you know, was had several plays in that game up in Blacksburg where they, they were ready set to go. Uh, and North Carolina wasn't quite ready defensively. So that has to be corrected. That, that, there's, there's no time and place for that. And that's, that's part of the appeal of, of what Jay Bateman does, right, is, is you're, you're mixing and matching. Uh, and so you've got to have a situation where you, you have the guys on the field that you need to have. And if you're having to run some guys in, some guys out, uh, that can be chaotic. Trying to get the play calls in, that can be chaotic. So that, that kind of stuff just has to be cleaned up. I don't, you know. For sure. But um, yeah, it's interesting when, when Jay kind of 
shot the question down. I think Andrew Jones asked it. And then people start saying, wait a minute, we, we've got clear examples where the defense seems to be unsure what they're supposed to be doing. And that's just one of those things that has to be handled behind the scenes. Whether or not he wants to address it publicly is fine. Uh, but I think you know, North Carolina fans want that cleaned up. Yeah, and I think what is happening here is that, and this is something we'll talk about at some point in this podcast, Carolina was expected to be really good this year. And yours truly picked them 12-0. and 0. I'd like to say uh, it was a joke <laughs> and all that stuff. but oh, it, okay. Well, let, let's have this conversation, Tommy. Were those expectations misplaced? Now, 12 and 0. Uh, yeah, those were. But I didn't think 10 and 2 was. 10? Right. Is, is 10 and 2 an expectation of 10 and 2 for this team in the preseason out of whack? No. No. And, and that's what's interesting. We'll go ahead and have it. it. Is that, and that's what gets me when you have national writers spouting off talking about. Uh, bill of goods and fraud and all that stuff but greg Are you talk about dan wolkin's article i wasn't gonna give the dude airtime really so yeah i know his name that's what dan does Come on. Yeah, i mean, I mean and he that does column and he that up. column every week is it's funny but like yes it's, it's hyperbolic to the max yeah. and ha- since we since i since you kind of brought it up his the line where he's talking about like sold a bill of goods the bill of goods wasn't a selling point. It was a legitimate potential Heisman Howell, Heisman Howell, whatever, Heisman candidate and Sam Howell and a veteran offensive line and a talented defense, right? Like anyone in their right minds would see that as like a legitimate team. I think they're underperforming. I don't necessarily think this is a bad team. The Any team in the country that was in a New Year's Six Bowl that would have had 21 of 22 starters back was going to get that type hype by yes, everybody sir. with an elite quarterback. Yeah. With an, without question. And, and so that's where it's at. Um, but Greg, let me ask you is, is at this point in the season, let's go ahead and get straight into it. At this point in the season, I think your article or, or somebody's article, and I don't have it in front of me is seasons coming undone. Are, are we at that point yet? That we, was got eight, we got eight games um, clearly losing in, the Virginia Tech game, we can – I sort of give that a pass for a variety of reasons. Saturday night, no, not at all. But it, but is the season undone? There's plenty in the fan base that believe it is. Is it, is it done at this point? What or, and or what can get it back in a hurry um, to get the fan base to put down the pitchforks, which I don't, I don't blame them for having be honest sure uh there are a couple things here that that we need to kind of parse the details on number one uh we talked about this before the virginia game uh and the bowls a lot tommy regardless of what happened against virginia regardless of what happened in some of these games coming up their trajectory of the program is in the right direction i don't think there's any question about that when you when you look at what mac has done recruiting wise uh, they're getting more talent as the younger guys uh, develop, as they get older, and there's more talent behind them. You're going to start seeing higher quality play as the years progress. I don't think there's any question about that. But when I'm talking about things coming undone, specifically talking about this season, the goal coming in, and, and Mac Brown mentioned this on his radio show Monday night, the goal coming in, and granted, I mean, 
to be fair for the team, this is pretty much the goal every year. Uh, but I think that the fan base was in agreement on this for some of the reasons we've already mentioned. The goal was to win the Coastal Division. UNC was the preseason Coastal pick. And part of that was when you looked at all the returning talent, there were two teams that stood out, North Carolina and Miami. And I think people were skeptical about Miami just because of Manny Diaz and Miami's past. That projection has proven to be accurate at this point in time. And so because of those concerns about Miami in the offseason, North Carolina became the preseason coastal favorite. And then when you start looking at Clemson saying, okay, well, defense is going to be lights out. What happens when you lose Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne? Is this the year maybe you can sneak up on Clemson? And clearly, as NC State found out on Saturday, the answer is once again, yes, it is. Um, so some of these things that were projected have played out. North Carolina, of course, has not. Uh, and so the fact that the Virginia Tech loss was a surprise. I, I kind of agree with you, Tommy. It was the first game. It was up there. It was a crazy crowd. Uh, Virginia Tech has a good defense. They play physical. Um, that, that should have woken this North Carolina team up. So when they go to Atlanta and get beat badly the way that they did, uh, I mean, that sends off alarm bells, right? And when both of your losses already are to divisional opponents, that's a problem. And so now you're looking at, and I understand the tiebreakers can, can change this up a little bit. Virginia Tech essentially has to go five and three meaning they have to go, what, four and three the rest of the way in ACC play? You look at their schedule, that's a tough ask. Um, and so when I talk about the season coming done, done, it's really from the standpoint of the goal was to win the Coastal. If you win the Coastal, then you get a shot at Clemson. Yep. And it may not even be Clemson anymore. You get a Deacons. shot to win the ACC. And if you can somehow at least win the Coastal – and look good in the ACC championship game, maybe you can go back to another New Year's Six bowl game. Well, the New Year's Six bowl game, it is off the table unless North Carolina can win the ACC right now. I don't think there's any question about that. And because they, are, they have dug themselves such a hole at one and two in the Coastal Division, they've got to win out in ACC play. So they've got to win five straight games, and they need a lot of help to be able to get back – to get to the ACC championship game, get back for the second time in five years. Um, and so that's kind of where things stand is all of these goals that we talked about in the offseason, all these goals that the team talked about, is it's still within reach, but a lot of things have to go in North Carolina's favor for that to happen. And so, yeah, I, mean, I, I think it's fair to say that the season has come undone from that standpoint because well, I mean, we're still in September, guys. Never thought we'd be having this conversation in September. I thought it would be a Miami loss. They got the ball rolling and then see what or happens Pitt there. Or something where they're like, all right, well, they had the chance. But here's you how I look uh, at it. You can't be in September and already needing help. Right. It just doesn't work that way. This is, this is how I kind of look at it as far as the season when I read your article, Greg, and whatnot with the season coming undone, thought about the rest of the season moving forward. Is six and two feasible based on where we thought they were? Yes, right? Based on well, even considering that they're one and two now, forgetting about how they've played, 
could this team go on and beat Duke, Miami, Florida State, Pitt, State? Yeah, right? Based on how they've played, no. So as far as getting to six and two, taking it one game at a time, if this team can do that and get back on track, I said I think that says more about the culture that's been built and whatnot than we originally thought. The whole trajectory of what this season can show us about this team has completely changed. If this team rolls over and lose and gets just rolled by Miami or I don't know, doesn't look good against Duke and or Florida State, but still gets the still get the wins, you know, like I think that how they respond says more about where this team is under Mac and the coaching staff than anything else, because if they don't respond well, and I think that falls more on the coaches than it does the players. And I think that's when hot seats get hotter and things like that. I know people are on the boards are already calling for heads to roll and, and things like that. But I think as far as a response, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a 40 point beatdown against Duke this Saturday. It needs to be week in and week out that growth that we all talked about in August needs to start happening week to week. And then I think fans might cool down a little bit and their understanding of what this team needed as far as youth getting up there. I think it'll, I think it'll say a lot. Yeah. I think the home games, I think, I think they'll probably win the home games, but I tell you, you have seven of them. Yeah. And I tell you what, if, if we would have taken a bet, in August and said, uh, you can win a thousand dollars. Carolina will go six and two or worse. What would you take? Every, every single Carolina fan would have taken six to would have said six and two without question. And now how many Carolina fans and how many pundits and how many of us would take Carolina going six and two finishing six and two at this moment right now? Chat, Listen. type your uh, type your predictions right now. I want to see all 112 and you put a uh, ACC <laughs> record. Let's see it rolling. Six and two, um, five and three, four and four. What do you, I'm not what do you guys got? There. Man, you, you're coming at me too quick. Uh, five and five and three. No, four and four in the ACC right now. If I had to bet, I'd say four and four. Greg, where you at? Not going to go there. Uh, at, at Pitt and at State are going to be trouble. I agree. I agree. So I, I think four and four or five and three at this point. You have to pick one. All right. I'm in a good mood. I'll go five and three. How about that? Greg Barnes with the optimism. That is a different story. Uh, <laughs> I've also got what, five and three. You remember when we talked about forever? Um, Carolina was an eight-win team. I used to get ripped unmercifully when I said this is an eight-win program, period, over – I've been doing it for a long time. Since 98, I would say that, and people would blow my butt out of the water on it. There is not <laughs> a contingency in the chat. We've, they're, they're all over the place. So no one, I, I think that speaks to where this team is. No one really knows I think because they're underperforming. Yeah, I think home games are fine. Let's talk about why they're underperforming, Greg. And, and I sort of wanted to go here, and a lot of people were calling for it earlier. Is it personnel or is it some disconnect? going on because we talked about identity and that's one thing that they talked about in the press duke has an identity they may suck at it but you know what duke's going to do you know their identity and mac said we don't have one 
Max said, quote, we don't have one on offense especially. I don't think they have one on defense either because it's week to week. So, Greg, what's going on there? That I think those are the questions that have people the most concerned about the state of the, the, trage- the, the trajectory we're talking about. Long day. So, let me circle back real quick. It, it applies to this. But when you talk about the preseason expectations, um, Gregory said talented defense. And on paper, it is talented. Uh, but I think the anticipation and the expectation um, really included the potential of the defense to be factored in. What I mean by that is we knew about Sam Howe. We knew about the five returning starting offensive linemen. Uh, we knew about Ty Chandler coming in, about Garrett Walston. And even though you don't have Diami and, and Daz, you've got some pieces there at the wide receiver. So while I don't think anybody expected North Carolina's offense to be as good as it was last year, I think a lot of us thought eh, it may be a step down. But this is still going to be a very good offense. Everyone on the poll said the offense was a better, better shot of the ball. Yeah, for sure. And then you take the defense and say, well, the defense showed signs of getting better at the end of last year. You add in another top 15 recruiting class with some, some key talented pieces, especially along the defensive line. And that group has to take a significant step up. So you've got the offense here and you've got the defense here all of a sudden. Well, what's happened? The defense has stayed about the same. I don't think it's any better than it was last November but the offense has regressed. So instead of the defense coming up to meet the offense, the offense has dropped down to meet the defense. And that's kind of where we're at. Um, offensively, I think the identity right now is that Sam Howell's trying to do too much. And the question is, why is that? Is it because he doesn't trust maybe some of his options at, at wide receiver? Maybe it's because he gets a little bit spooked when he does get a lot of pressure because the offensive line has struggled a little bit. Um, Whatever it may be, you know, Jason Staples has kind of has done a good job highlighting where some of those struggles have been. He's not playing with the same level of confidence that he did last year. At least it appears that way to me. That's the glaring thing with this this offense right now. Um, and the the skill positions are, are trying to kind of work in. And Phil Longo told us there's been dramatic improvement since week one with the skill position guys. I'm not sure if, if Sam has – his confidence level has increased the same amount. And then the offensive line, yes, there's been injuries. Uh, they just have not really been impressive. They've been fine, haven't really been impressive. And so you're just left with this kind of mix of, okay, uh, the skill position guys are, are trying to come along. The offensive line has been okay. Sam Howell's trying to do too much. That's your identity right now. So that's got to change. Um, and, you know, Phil Longo said he's going to do a lot more. He wants to do a lot more quick hitters for Sam. So Sam doesn't have to think as much. And he can get the ball out very quickly. Um, you know, we know how accurate Sam can be. So just the decision-making process has, has been a problem. Defensively, when you look at the guys really playing, yes, you have a Miles Murphy. Yes, you have Javari Ritzy, who has, has played well in, in limited snaps so far this year. Uh, we know the secondary guys are good, but, if you're not getting pressure on the quarterback um, and you're not doing a, guy, a good job up front, those guys will get exposed a little bit. Um, and so while everybody says, well, you've got all these talented kids along the defensive front, well, 
you've got to earn playing time. And for you to jump ahead of some of these older guys who maybe don't have the stars inside their names, you've got to perform better than they do in practice consistently. That's how you earn playing time. And uh, I know it's a little bit of the chicken and egg thing there, but that's kind of where we're at. And so the hope that for me, the hope was always the offense would come in and be very good early on. And the defense would be able to work these young guys in pretty quickly. And so by mid season, when the schedule gets tough, both sides would really be clicking. And you, maybe that's still the plan. Maybe the hope is uh, that will still happen. It's just been a little bit delayed and hasn't happened as quickly as I think most of us thought. To the, to, you talked about the, the defensive backfield there briefly. Folks remember that Dre Bly had 13 interceptions his freshman year, if you count the bowl game. How many did he have the rest of his career? Not many. Because the defensive line that he played behind was not as good as it was that freshman year. It was still good, but it was not as good. And cornerbacks – or you can have a great cornerback. If it's poor defensive line and quarterback's got all day, I'll take the quarterback all the time. And that's what we've seen a lot. I mean, Grimes has gotten beat. Uh, Conley's been beat. Kyler McMichael got beat. Uh, I mean, Storm Duck can't stay healthy. Um, so, I mean, it, it all comes back to that defensive line. And I think that's the frustration from the fan base, especially, is play the young guys. You know, play the young guys, play the young guys, especially at linebacker. Well, Gimmel's not coming off the field, and he shouldn't. Like no EJ, way. Like EJ and Ingersoll and Vip talked about on their podcast. Gimmel comes off the field and you will see a train wreck. Uh and it can get worse. If, if, if you think the communi- communication <laughs> issues were bad against Georgia Tech, take out Gimmel. He there was a play where he got steamrolled by a blocker because up until the snap, he was screaming at the guys on the defensive line getting them to get into the right gaps and whatnot. And then Georgia Tech snapped the ball. He turned to his right, and then there was a blocker in his face. Like, that's that's kind of where the team was at against Georgia Tech. And so, staying on the defensive side, and I was going about to go back to the offense, but Greg, staying on that defensive side and all these issues, I mean, at what point does the staff, Bateman on down, quote-unquote simplify or do something different, I guess? is a way to put it because we talk about guys in position to make plays and they just don't make plays. Well, the stat I mentioned to you earlier, Georgia Tech had 260-some yards rushing and only 100 of those, if my math was right, was after contact. That's incredible. That's a lot of running free and that's a lot of guys not positioned, except for Asante, and we saw what happened to him on that. But, you know, that's a bad matchup. At what point does the staff do something differently, Greg, than other than say uh, what we do works, we just got to execute? <laughs> yeah, we, we have heard that. So I mentioned this before in the past, and I, I think some people didn't like it, which, which is fine. Uh, and this is not an excuse, but I think this is part of the learning curve. Um, Jay Bateman has been a defensive coordinator at the Power 5 level. This is his third year. And as good as he was at Elon and an army and doing some of his unique things, I mean, it, he's gotten plenty of attention from, from legitimate programs. No question about that. Uh, but he didn't have high quality borderline elite uh, offensive coordinators looking at his scheme week in and week out. He has that now. 
Um, he's playing at a Power 5 institution, playing in the ACC. Uh, his team this year was preseason top 10. You're going to get eyeballs on you. I mean, it's like what Phil Longo say this offseason. Say he did this offseason before Virginia. He spent a lot of time on the 335 because that's kind of the new trendy thing. And he put a lot of work into it. And it looked really good against Virginia. Um, and Georgia Tech changed things up a little bit uh, and obviously gave North Carolina more problems. Um, but I think Jay's dealing with that a little bit because Jay's whole thing with an army and his ways done at North Carolina is this disguise where he's bringing pressure from, but it's not to send a lot of pressure. So I think people get frustrated. Well, he's not blitzing a lot. No, that's not what he does. He sent six guys once, once at army in 2018. Six once all year year long. Um, That's just not what he does because the idea is you want to create havoc, right? Without sacrificing coverage on the back end because you don't want those explosive plays. Uh, And so he is going to send five guys. And we saw that a lot against Virginia kind of late. Um, But he's just not typically the kind of guy that's going to send all out blitzes. Um, he, he's going to send a, a nickel back. He's going to send the cornerback to kind of mix things up. He's going to drop a outside linebacker uh, and, and maybe send a, a inside linebacker in his place, try to overload some gaps, those kind of things. That's, that's kind of what he does. But offensive coordinators have had time to really look at what he does. And I think they're having some success. And that's part of it is they were always going to be able to counter. Now it's up to him to counter back. And that's kind of the dance that these coordinators do. Um, and I, I think that's just part of the learning curve for him is trying to figure out, okay, now teams have kind of figured out what works. So what do I have to do now to switch things up and, and have a little bit more success? Gregory, I, I want you to ask one of the questions from our readers, but Greg, I mentioned earlier, I may have said it in this podcast already, but I don't think so. Uh, Matt Campbell at Iowa State, they basically play the best 11, or he said we're going to play the best 11 and figure out where they go. Is that feasible for this team, given where Carolina is talent-wise? And, and, and if you did that, how might it change which guys are out on the field? I don't know if it would change it that terribly much. Maybe one guy? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, as I've said – Might put Ritzy out there more often. Maybe, maybe power or rah-rah power would probably get in more. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, but Cedric, Cedric Gray's played well, so I don't – That's that's the dance. People say play the Boy, young guys. Boykin, you Boykins probably plays more. Instead of Chapman? Yeah. Maybe. But, again, here's the thing. Coaches put the young guys out there, and they'll play 5, 10, 15 snaps, and they put them out there on specific plays. They know those guys can have success in because they understand what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And so they splash and they have a, a very nice play. And people are like, look at this kid. He should be playing more. And the problem is, number one, is endurance. And this is their first year in college. But two, they're operating within a very small piece of the defensive puzzle. And that's, that's what they're taught. And that's all their focus is right now. And the more that they go through practice and the more that they work with Jay Bateman, more is kind of added to their plate. Um, so I think some of these kids, you know, if you throw them out there right now and say, okay, you're going to play the whole game, it'd be a nightmare for them. Not because they're not talented, just because they don't understand exactly what they're supposed to do to the degree that they need to understand. And that's, that's part of it is 
as they grow up and as they mature and as they get more playing time, they'll start to understand those things more and they'll start to react instinctively instead of thinking, okay, I'm supposed to be over here. And then as they're thinking that the guy runs past them, that, that's the problem you have to look out for. I mean, look at last year and even two years ago, two years ago with storm, right? They had to throw a storm out there and did eventually he ended up being a good corner. Yeah. What happened was on it- his first play? Exactly. Torch. Remember that story? Yeah. So they were playing man and he thought they were playing zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he got torched because of it. And maybe it was just like, uh, right. But they had to play it. They don't have that right now so far. Um, And Tony Grimes last year. Yes. He ended up being very great and would perform super well at the end of the year. But the beginning, it wasn't the, it wasn't the electricity that what a lot of people are calling for when you think of youth movement to bring those guys in. Now, does it, does a change need to happen somewhere? Yes. Um, Those guys didn't didn't get run until Wake Forest, legitimate run until second half of Wake Forest, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just when when regards to the youth movement, just have to take into consideration will the change actually be that beneficial or will it might just derail some of these guys' confidence? Because you're asking these younger guys to come in and change the state of the team at that current moment when they're just trying to figure out how to play Power Five Division One football on a I don't know, 65 snap basis in a single, like 65 snap game for the first time, you know? Um, Let me ask Greg one question. I keep saying, ask a question, Gregory. I mean, and I keep what, what you, I, I'm okay. doing, I'm doing my best Gregory Hall imitation. Greg, is it, <laughs> is it, would it, would it be the end of the world if Sam Howell got an opportunity to watch a couple of series? I think struggling? that's a great question. I, I really do. Um, I, I think he's just put so much on himself this year. Yeah. Give him I get it. It may not be a bad idea just to just let him check out for a minute and kind of watch how things operate from the sidelines. Um, I don't know that that Phil will do that, but I think it's a good idea. I think the play that uh, Staples broke down, the deep post that um, Sam missed on back-to-back times, if the issue – is him zeroing in on one his first read on specifically downs. If the issue is him routinely zeroing in on downs, even though he's double covered, it definitely wouldn't hurt for him to be on the sideline and look and not like he, he's on the sideline, right? There's no reason to zero in on one guy. Now it's not, I mean, like you said, it's probably not going to happen because that's asking a lot, but if the issue keeps recurring, if he comes out in the first two series against Duke and it's, not great. I don't, that's actually, that's an interesting thought that I hadn't entered my mind until you brought it up, Tommy. Somebody asked me on the chat, who would, who would they put in and place a how for a couple series? My guy. That's all I'm going to say. My guy. Thank you, Buck. That's, that, that's the right answer. Yeah. It's my guy. Don't know. Uh, I, Can I ask a question like now? Well, yeah, go ahead. I had something else good for Greg, but I'll hold it. Oh, I mean, we got a long show, right? Um, go as long as you will. I, this old guy can last a long time. Pause. pause um, delete. Let's it's a live show, Tommy. Live show. Um, someone brought up. We talked. I think we talked about, or Greg brought up. Like this is not an excuse for Bateman. So while we're on the um, theme of excuses, um, how different would this team look if Bo was starting, Anderson was fully healthy, Choffrey had a spring, and Storm was healthy? Is it is it significant? Is this team 
three and one or four and oh with those four guys all at full strength. Well, I guess Chaffee's probably at full strength. He's just not confident. Did you say confident? I did. Okay. Do you I think I said competent? I, I think Bo Corrales is the biggest piece of that puzzle. I agree. Um, just because him and him and Sam had had some success together. And if you, you – know, we talked about it in the offseason, but you had him with Josh Downs. Now you've got a legitimate one-two punch. Um, and maybe that changes – Maybe that changes how things have played out. Brian Anderson would have been helpful at Virginia Tech for sure. Um, he didn't look good on Saturday. No, nah, I think he's still banged up a little bit. But you know, there, I think there's some issues at the, in the interior line. That's that's problematic, um, and I don't know how they're going to address that right now. Um, I think that's that's a problem for the offensive line. I think Jordan Tucker's solid. I think Austin Richards has played pretty well this year. Um, Azudu's clearly a, a talented guy. But once you get on the inside a little bit, I think there's some there's some issues that uh, you're just going to have to you know, increase talent. I think to, to help maybe develop guys a little bit more. Uh, but you know some of the other guys. Yeah, I mean, we can make a case for all of them, but I, I think Bo's the one that probably stands out more than any of them. What I thought was interesting about the offensive line when I was looking at um, – because we talked about this last year with the sack issue and the two and a half – holding the ball for two and a half seconds under versus over. This season, when it's over, it's 16 sacks, and when it's under, it's one sack. But I was looking at who the sacks were credited to, and seven of them are credited to Sam Howell and only six are credited to the off one, two, three, six are credited to the offensive line. And I don't know where the other four go, but seven credited to your quarterback. It goes back to the, I think the offensive issues really start and stop with Sam Howell right now. Yeah. Didn't he, say that, didn't he say that he was on those plays? Didn't they ask him today or maybe one of y'all? I've got, him. I've he got was that looking later. At, yeah, okay. Well, I'll save it for later then, but I think that's a relevant point. Yeah, but Ty Chandler's probably in that mix too because if it was interesting. If you look at the pass pro grades for the, the running backs on the season, Ty Chandler's actually below DJ Jones and Caleb Hood. Granted, he's played a lot more snaps than those guys have. But his, You said in running grade? Uh, pass pass grade, pro. Pass pro grade. Oh, yeah, DJ Jones is the best pass protection right. on the team. I mean, Ty's what, like 39? Is that right? 40.9. Okay. I mean, there's 17 guys eligible for pass protection and Ty Chandler's 16th. Kieran Johnson, 17th. Yeah. Hmm. That's it's not good. I thought he looked good. Well, Did so, he look pretty good against Georgia Tech? Kieran? At least late. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, um, I don't understand how the grading works anyway. My question, and I don't pretend to understand how coaches actually coach football, but so with that, with it being I mean, I saw people talking about in the chat with this, um, the offensive line regression. No one saw that coming, right? Um, with coaching. How much did the offensive line regress, though? I, I, I don't know that right, you know that's the true. to that. That is a great But we, we at least expect some sort of growth with veterans, sure. right? Sure. So I think that's the, that was the expectation. How much of that, if how much falls on Searles? Like, what's the – you followed – you've covered more coaches than I have. So that's kind of more of a question for you. And I can't really speak to it at all. What, how much of it actually falls on 
Searles, he's the main coach that people were calling for. Yeah. I mean, a ton. And the fact that, I mean, more than anything, these guys have been together for three years. And through the first two weeks of the season, we heard about injuries to Brian Anderson and Joshua Zudu, which matter. I mean, no doubt about it. But when you've got the same core and you really have the same two deep as you had last year, um, chemistry is such a big part of offensive line play. Uh, and so, yeah, I think the fact that they haven't really made a significant step forward, uh, certainly that falls on Stacey Searles. I don't think there's any question about that. Well, uh, if you listen to Ingersoll, and, and folks should go back and listen to that, the issue that is concerning is the technique, the bad technique, the bad footwork. These guys have played a ton of football. They should not be having those type issues, in my opinion. You should have it coached out of them or you should have a coached over there on the bench. And, and that is uh, – the offensive – I think a ton of it's mental with the offensive line. Their heads are swimming. But the technique and all that stuff, is, is that's bothersome for guys that are three years deep playing together. I mean, good Lord. Notre Dame has these offensive linemen that have played together forever, and they're killing it. And you don't see those type of issues. So, yeah, I, I think it's fair to, to point at the grown-up that's doing the coaching. Anyway, so, let's, go ahead. Auburn fired their wide receivers coach after four weeks. Granted, he was it was he, it was his first year, so it was a little different. Is that even like a, the man got four games and they sent him out? I mean, yeah, SEC and, and SEC I mean, is just different, Tommy. He had he was a former player too, so it's like if they it's like if Dre Bly got fired after four weeks, and Bo Nix and T.J. Finley couldn't throw this hit the side of a barn so i thought it was funny that they fired receivers coach anyway firing mid-season is that even like a thought no right doesn't that make it worse i think it, yeah i think there would have to be uh something nefarious going on and at auburn Beyond. it probably was Good they word, fired probably. the guy they fired the guy they fired your, your guy at auburn before the well it's the sec it wouldn't yeah. matter anyway <laughs> right and mac is um mac has strong relationships with a lot of these coaches. Uh, and so I just think the, the way Mac is, is wired and yeah, the fact that he does have previous fair. relationships. Yeah. I think if any move takes place, it'd be in the off season. Brian Harson's a first year power five coach. So that makes sense. There's gotta be improvement there on the offensive line. Let's come back. Let me, let me take a short break for the audio version. Talk about Johnny t-shirt, Johnny t-shirt.com. They're sponsors of this podcast and great friends of inside Carolina. You get 10% off your order. If you're a premium subscriber, and look, you can get 10% off your order at Johnny T-Shirt as a premium subscriber. That is a great, great deal. But think of all the other stuff you get if you're a premium Inside Carolina subscriber. The breakdowns that Jason Staples does, the film, that's almost worth the price of admission. And then you get all the other stuff that Greg and Gregory and Vip and all of us put together. And then we hadn't even talked about recruiting. And I know a lot of fans are worried about football recruiting at this point in the season. There's plenty of news about that every single day with Don Callahan and Ross and everybody. And then on the basketball side with rail, I mean, got to be inside Carolina premium subscriber. And then you get that 10% off, man. It is a deal like no other Johnny t-shirt and Johnny t-shirt.com. Let the national guys pay the bills on the audio version. Be right back on the beat live. Tommy Gregory, Greg. All right, boys, we're back. Gregory, let's get in some order questions. Um, I'm looking at them. I'll let you pick some, and you can get them to Greg, and then I'll interrupt with my point. 
why is Mac off the hook on performance of this team? Uh, quote off the hook. I don't know the, where the quote comes from. Um, there seems to be a mindset in our fan base that Max barking at his staff. What about looking in the mirror? I don't think he's off the hook no. at all. I mean, a couple things. I mean, he's a reflection of his staff, right? Yeah. He hires them. The buck stops with him uh, and all that stuff. But Mac has a grace period that maybe the coordinators do not have, at least with the fan base. But look, this is all – they're all in this together. Um, and so, anyway, go ahead, Greg. Yeah, and I think it's important for, for people to understand, and I mentioned this earlier – Mac is very much of the mindset that he is going to praise in public and he's going to get after your butt in private if he doesn't like something. Um, and that has been the case. I mean, go back and listen to his press conference on Monday. Uh, for a guy that's always happy, he was not happy. And it kind of rang through. Uh, but we, we've received you know, numerous anecdotes over the years since Mac returned of him lightening up coaches in, in, in private meetings. Uh, you, when he says that uh, he no longer has patience and he's going to be direct and honest and not beat around the bush, everything we've heard is that is accurate. That is kind of what he is now, um, which is a good thing. And I'm sure it ruffles some feathers. I mean, I, I think if you, if you listen to all of Mac Monday and then you listen to the coordinators – uh, no question, there have been some very difficult conversations, which, which should take place. Uh, I will say this. Mac is a Hall of Fame coach. He's won a national championship. He's been you know, to a couple of national, national championship games. Uh, he has proven what kind of coach he is. Does that absolve him from scrutiny? No, of course not. You know, we, we've talked about his game management a lot on this podcast. Uh, but it does buy him some, some grace. Um, and as long as he's handling business within the, the walls at the Kenyon Football Center, uh, that will continue to be the, the case. Um, but certainly, you know, Mac, Mac knows that how the offense plays, how the defense plays, how special teams plays is all a reflection of him. And so he's going to do what he can to kind of get things corrected. But very clearly, he is not happy with how things have played out thus far. Can you guys see that? Yeah, Gregory Hall for the audio version listening. Uh, Gregory Hall pulling up some some video clips like we did a couple of weeks ago, where we take a listen and then we talk about it on the other side. I since Greg since we kind of I kind of segued the Mac thing into, and then Greg bringing up the coordinators and whatnot. Greg, this is the clip of Mac kind of being about as critical as we've seen, um, just as a little as a little precursor here. Adam, I hate excuses. Good. Yep. I hate them. And, and to me, an excuse doesn't help you get better. So I, I like direct conversation and, and we will take the sacks that we have had this year. We'll go back through every one of them and, and we will write down exactly what happened in every one of them and, and then fix it, fix it. If we can't drop back and pass against a certain player, then don't put our player in a position to try to block somebody he can't block. Move the quarterback, chip him with the back, get the tight end involved. I mean, but but don't just keep making the same mistakes. I hate that. And and um, our seniors have been banged up. If they're struggling, help them. Get somebody else to help them. Change your schemes. 
but but you it, it's football is a very simple game to me that's all i've done my whole life people are very complicated and and getting all the people on the same page when things are not working in a very public and visible business is the key to our jobs and that that's and that's what i've got to do i've got to do a better job getting all of our coaches on the on the same on the same page Listening to that, to Greg's point, you don't think that he's crawled some rear ends? <laughs> I literally messaged. Didn't I message you, Greg, while, while he was saying that? Being right, like, wait, yeah. a, wait a second, that we haven't. Yeah. So. That he is look. He's the he's the voice of the program. Somebody in the chat said Mike wasn't hired for his excellent nose. He was hired to build a program. That's what he's doing. Those coaches are supposed to be the excellence of nose. They got to be better, and I think it's pretty clear, like Greg said earlier, there have been some difficult conversations in the past 48, 72 hours, however far we are out from the Georgia Tech game. While you're teeing up another one, let me ask Greg one of these questions. Um, we talked about player development and all that. Greg, is Bateman statistically better than Koenig or Papuchas? Bateman has better talent, but – Results. Do I have to pull some? Do I have to do some digging here? People, uh, no, I've looked at it. People won't like <laughs> of this. Of course, you. <laughs> uh, people won't like this. But um, Vic Conan's first two offenses in, in Chapel Hill were really good. Statistically, they were really good. Remind me of the years here 2012, 2013. Thank you. I mean, if, if you look at what North Carolina did, you know, when Carolina started out, whatever it was, and 2013, what, one in five, I guess. The reason they turned that season around is because Kareem Martin became a man and nobody could block, nobody could block him. And by having a defensive end like that, it changed the entire dynamic of that defense. And that defense was legit the second half of that season. Now, 2014 was an absolute cluster. I mean, that was a disaster of a defense because Vic lost the guys. Um, and now, granted, he's also coming in 2012, just like Larry Fedora did, Butch and benefited from, from Butch Davis's guys, who are all legit. Um, and so when you got that kind of talent, you better put up some good numbers. And Vic did, first two years for sure. Um, you know, Gene Chizik in, in 2015, 16, he did a better job kind of getting the guys together, but it was almost kind of like smoke and mirrors. There was such a bend, don't break mindset. Um, I mean, the, their numbers really weren't great. They just kept people out of the end zone. And it was kind of impressive how he did it. It was almost kind of a fluky thing. And then once they kind of got into the, against the meat of the schedule with Clemson and Baylor, uh, defenses had no answer. So uh, Bateman's, Bateman's first defense thus far has been his best. And that defense wasn't great, but we've talked about it ad nauseum you know, on our podcast. He had two legitimate NFL guys. Sure, Aaron Crawford, Crawford. Was a little bit, yeah, if Crawford was a little bit taller, he'd probably still be in the NFL. Uh, but those, those two guys were legit up front. And even if you have a lot of question marks kind of around them, if you got two guys in the middle that can do a lot of damage, you can be pretty productive. Um, and so I think that's what people are waiting on is you just need one of these young guys really to pop. Miles Murphy's getting close. If somebody like that can pop, 
I mean, that makes everybody in the defense look so much better. Speaking of making guys pop and whatnot, here's Tamon Fox on the pass rush and lack thereof so far this season. I feel like our guys have done a good job uh, containing the quarterback, but like you said, we need to be able to get back there and actually get the sack. We've done a good job also with getting pressure, but we've, we've played against a, a bunch of good quarterbacks, a bunch of mobile quarterbacks that are able to extend drives and extend plays with their feet. So we just have to handle those situations better. Greg, at the beginning of the Georgia Tech game, Miles Murphy breaks through, has a big sack. Um, I don't think there's any quarterback just getting ready away from him there. We didn't see that the entire rest of the game. No. What gives? And where was he? Where does he play? And he plays in the interior of the line. Yeah. Right. And so the the whole concept of what Jay Bateman's trying to do is to really utilize those outside linebackers, Tamon and, and Des Evans and Chris Collins, Cayman Rucker to really generate pressure. That's where he wants the, the quarterbacks to be attacked from and then use your interior guys. Yeah, you want them to be able to, to kind of get up the field and rush a pass or some, but really to kind of maintain gaps and all those kind of things. Um, and Tamon Fox has had a couple of good games this year and, you know, Kamon's had a couple, uh, a couple of good games, but Georgia Tech just did a really good job kind of limiting them and what they could do. Um, and I, I think the concerning thing I wonder if other fan bases have these conversations, um, but it's just, it just seems like there are so many quarterbacks that look incredible against North Carolina. Like Bryce Perkins had a well of a game against North Carolina back in 2019 to oh the point gosh. where people on the boards are like, well, he was this incredible quarterback and Virginia will never be the same without him. If you look at that season, he had two great games, Virginia Tech and North Carolina. Everything else was kind of like, yeah, he's good, but those were his elite games. Um, we saw what Armstrong did, <laughs> breaking the record a couple weeks ago. Jeff Sims, how many times last year did he rush for more than 100 yards? Like maybe once against wasn't it, the first wasn't game it of once? the year. Wasn't it? No, once against Duke. Oh, well, good for him. He played basically a half on Saturday and rushed for 128 yards. Yep. Career high. There's this comment after the Mac live story that Isaiah did. And the first comment is, now I feel better. Vince Young 2.0 beat us. Nothing to worry about, guys. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, Greg. And I know my answer here. Somebody <laughs> asks, what's the most important for the defensive line? Someone to push the pocket or someone to rush the passer from the outside. I will say this, and I'll answer Oath. it first. You give me a nose that can dominate, and I'll take that over anybody on the entire defense. What do you say, Greg? And, and by dominate, Tommy means make teams double-team you every single snap. Yeah. Right? Dexter Lawrence, you give me that guy, we will oh. beat your butt. So and they had five Dexter Lawrences. Georgia Tech's uh, defensive nose tackle. Uh, Jermon. Yes. He was Was a, a force. He was beast. the best defensive lineman on the field. Player to watch, by the way. He did not receive a single FBS offer coming out of high school. He walked on the Georgia Tech, got a scholarship, I think, before the 2020 season. So we can talk about stars all you want, but it's, it's development 
it's want to, it's work ethic, it's all those things. Um, and so the stars are good. I mean, they, that speaks to potential, but that development has to occur. Um, and North Carolina, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with Tommy. If you have somebody like that who can who can require an offense to say, we've got to double up on on this guy, it changes everything that the defense it changes everything the offense does, but it makes everybody on defense makes their jobs easier. Quick little update on the uh, Des Evans versus Taman Fox bet for everyone. <laughs> uh, Taman Fox has one sack, and uh, Des Evans does not. How many how many pressures does Taman have? Ten. Yeah. He leads the, he leads the team in pressures with ten. Cayman Rucker's second with seven. Cayman Rucker leads the team with two and a half sacks. And a forced fumble. I mean, Cayman Rucker has been the best pass rusher um, as far as actually getting uh, uh, efficiency. Yeah. Efficiency. Tamon right. Fox has been the best guy. He just and what isn't. was his star like he rating? said in his yeah. And like he said in his thing here. They're getting past the line. They're not. They're just not getting the quarterback on the ground. And yeah, quarterback play might have something to do with it. But at the same time, they've. I mean, Des Evans just like ran right by Armstrong. Was it Armstrong? Or he just like missed a wide open sack. So yeah, you give pass me a rush. Nose. You give me a technically. Nose I'm can... still in the race here because Des Evans is only one sack behind. Yeah, you're in the race, but you're losing. Right. Yep. Speaking so, of. Speaking go ahead. Of, Speaking of guys that I am backing, I have since become a Kamari Morales backer because on if you listen to IC Live, Tommy gave me, I don't even know what it was, but he asked for a breakout star. And I said Kamari Morales is going to have five catches for 66 yards. And I believe he had like maybe six or seven catches for 66 yards. Now, I didn't think he was going to be UNC's best receiver in the game, but this is what Kamari Morales said about like now that he's had that breakout game, what are next steps? I want to win. You know, I can go for 100 yards every game, but if we don't win, it don't matter. That's the most important thing. So if I have zero targets, zero catches, but we winning, what can I say? I think that says to, a lot to, about where this team is. To his point, and this is why you're not getting an omelet on Saturday, because they didn't win. You can't break out in a loss. And he, he played well, but that's why I might fix you one on my man Dusty's Blackstone, Dustin's Blackstone, Saturday in the Bowls Light. Greg, why is Kamari, Kamari Morales um, stepping up when we thought it would be Garrett Walston? What, what's the difference there? What's going on there? It's, it's just the athleticism. I mean, he's just more of a – he has the potential to be more of a factor in the, in the passing game. Um, you know, I said in the preseason, he's kind of in the mold of Eric Ebron. I'm not saying that he is Eric Ebron, obviously, but just kind of an athletic guy. I mean, Nesbitt's the same way. That Nesbitt's more of a receiver. Right, and that's kind of what you're looking at is a big guy that can block effectively, but he can, he can play attached or play uh, detached, and you can really use him um, as, a, as a safety valve and, and take advantage of some opportunities against linebackers. Because there are going to be some linebackers that just aren't as fast as others, and if you got a guy like Morales who's athletic and can run, then you, that's a potential for some uh, some mismatch, mismatches. And I, I think that's that's why. And as as he plays more, uh, you'll see it. I think he had six targets on Saturday and, and caught all six of them. 
Yeah. That's how you keep playing. One for a touchdown and one for would have been a touchdown, but his fantastic athleticism made him fall out of bounds. Well, he doesn't he doesn't get the touchdown. That touchdown if he Yes, gets it was the same it was the same, same drive. drive. I'm aware. I'm aware. Turf, Thank you, Tommy. Turf monster. I was paying attention a little bit at that point. How you funny was that the Georgia Tech guy just falling down there in the I watched quarter. um someone on Twitter pulled like took that clip and paired it with a Will Smith sniping clip and it was it was the funniest thing i've seen i think it was zach goins former former player it was funny all right what route i got two videos left here what route do we want to go offense or defense go offense we've talked a lot about defense all right this is sam howell on missing the deep posts antoine green was right wide open on back-to-back plays and he was staring at josh downs for context i think there's a it was it was something different on on each of those plays um but you know, it's just, I just got to do a better job. You know, they're doing such a good job at receiver right now, getting open deep, and I just got to do a better job just finding anybody I can to get the ball to them. I, mean, I think I was a little bit uncomfortable um, in the pocket, and I think that's kind of what led to my eyes not being in the right place at times. Um, and I think my eyes kind of got a little a little worried about the rush um, at times, and it kind of led to me missing some some reads down the field, and that's something I can't do, uh, especially here in my third year. I got I to gotta be able to see um, those routes develop and hit them. So let me ask you this, Greg, based on those comments. They run the play, and he misses him. They come right back to it. What am I missing? Uh, Sam, we're going to run this play again. Antoine Green was wide open. Throw the ball to Antoine Green if he's open again. Now, I understand the rush, and I understand his eyes and all that, but it's kind of like what we've talked in the past on these RPOs where he's pulling too much. You tell him to hand the ball off. Does that not did it, yeah. it did not compute? Was there a timeout in between those plays? Do we know? I do not think so. Longing, yeah, I don't think so. So, so that's why I wonder if like he actually knew. Like, hey, buddy, you missed a, an opportunity I mean, on, down the field. On the first one, Antoine Green was visibly upset that he didn't get the ball. Yeah. Right. Like his hands were up and he like when the play was over and he was like, I mean, what more do you want me to do? Like yeah. if you, the whole talk has been us not getting released, I've got a five yard gap between my guy in the middle of the field and I'm walking into the end zone. Yeah. Well, but I think the, the most important part of that comment there is the uncomfortable part. Yep. And I think it's clear to all of us watching. Um, and granted, I mean, when you've been, He's been sacked what 17 times this year, which is crazy, <laughs> crazy, yeah. uh, and and hit so many times. Um, you at that point in the game, I know it was late. You're kind of like, I've been getting hit every single play, and you just kind of get antsy. That's what defenses want to do, right? They, the the whole idea of you want to hit the quarterback as many times as you can legally, because you want it in his head that as he makes this deep throw, he's gonna get popped, and uh, I think when it happens so many times in the course, over the course of a game or over the course of a season, it gets to you. And I think it's gotten to Sam. Um, I, I, I know Phil Longo doesn't believe there's a trust issue. I, I tend to think there, there kind of is at this point in time. And you add when that with. When I was just saying, when you're only staring at Josh Downs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, regardless if he's your primary guy on the, on the play, if he's your primary read. Yeah. But just I think, 
Go ahead. I was We're all say, interrupting Tommy, everybody. Yeah, just the fact that he was so comfortable last year and he was so in rhythm and all those things. He trusted his offensive line. He knew those running backs were going to make him look good. He knew the wide receivers were going to make him look good. Uh, when you're free-flowing like that, game's easy. But when your wide receivers maybe aren't getting separation or they haven't consistently gotten separation, so you're kind of, eh, I'm not exactly sure who's going to be open on this play. And your running game's not really operating the way it needs to. You're getting hit a lot. That can really affect you mentally. And I think that's, that's what we've seen. We, we clearly saw it on Saturday night. Does Sam Howell stay? No. A lot of people were talking about it. I'd be shocked. I I think he'll bounce back. He's too good of a player. I I agree, but I'm just – if this trajectory continues. His numbers aren't that bad. What else does he have to prove? Exactly. That was my answer to people asking me. I think Uh, it was just people being wishful, being, well, hopefully we have Sam next year. Yeah, the, the, that's that's an interesting dynamic. Does he stay because he played so bad this year? That he's he not says he cares about winning. Uh, I mean, but I'm talking about for the fan base. Does he stay? Well, if he stays, that means he probably didn't have a good year. I'm not staying. If I'm Sam Howell, there's no way. And that's this is our first year of NIL. So I don't know that the money necessarily is the end-all be-all. But if the you're, brand, though. If you're able to get – a million dollars worth of NIL deals. Is that enough to maybe change your opinion? Right. Interesting. It's a good take. It's an interesting take, but I just think, I think we way premature talking about, like you said, to start the podcast is September. Right. I I know. I know just that people have brought it up and it's like, because of the beginning, right. Heck in the spring, even Sam or even Mac was like, he's probably not going to be back. Like he said that in one of his spring media availabilities. Oh, yeah. He said that several times. Yeah, yeah you know. All right. I just wanted to bring it up. Um, well, hold on. I tweeted this, and I thought it was a pretty clever tweet. When your quarterback's <laughs> jersey is the dirtiest on the team and you're playing on turf, <laughs> it has not been a good night. It made me laugh when I read that. <laughs> I mean. Because it was took- true. It's on turf. He took a pounding that. Anything you got left, Gregory? Because I'm about to get us out of here. We yeah, are one more. Tony Grimes. Down. Tony Grimes. I thought this was an interesting little little uh, clip. Well, I want to say at the beginning of the season, I think we was kind of too big headed. Um, so I think losing them, lose like losing the games really, you know, um, I won't say kill our motivation, but it, um, it really set us back some. But I think. You know, the season's still early. We still got plenty more games ahead of us, and we can have um, a good win in the season. So that's our plan right now. We're playing with what we're going to do. So everyone's motivated still. We're still a team. We're still working hard, and we're not getting, you know, down on ourselves, discouraged. I mean, right now, to what we're saying right now, games up for grabs. You know, each week, it's like it's not a set in, set team that someone's going to win um, each week. So each week, it's a different team winning, you know. So, yeah. Coaching, coaching, coaching. Players have to play. Players have to motivate themselves. But it is up to the coaches to keep these guys focused and on point. Greg, is that a fair statement? Absolutely. And let me just say, I think Tony Grimes is incredibly sharp. Uh, I mean, this this is a kid who should be a a true freshman, you know, on campus for like two months. Yes, he came in early, but I mean, those are some wise words right there. And um, for, for such a young kid to, to 
kind of understand it to that level. That speaks volumes about the leader that he's going to be for this team in the years to come. And that's, you, you always kind of have your, your ears open uh, for, for potential leaders down the road. We knew Jeremiah Gimmel was going to be a good leader. And uh, I think Tony for sure is going to be like that as well. He admitted he didn't pretend like they weren't, they didn't, they weren't too hyped. Right. He, he didn't try to pretend that that didn't exist. He admitted to being too big headed. He admitted that it hurt their confidence a little bit. Right. Cause some people be like, Nope, like we're still like, put it behind us, move forward. Right. He admitted to that, like the human aspect of the game of football, just in general. And then what I was saying earlier about the week, like the season expectations are just week by week. Now there's no more end of season goals. Currently, they just have to focus on week by week. And he's, that's exactly what he said. He's like, we're motivated week by week. And it kind of alluded to, look, we're not, we understand, like we could lose this week. There's no guarantee we're beating Duke and Bucks column on Monday about how Tommy, remember we were just like, can we just all slot Duke as a win? Tommy, let's, let's, we've already mentioned the 2013 season. What was the mantra after zero dark Thursday? Do you remember? Be one and oh. Be one and oh. That's right. And it and worked. That's where it started. It worked. That's right. <laughs> and how and how brutal was that zero dark Thursday loss? I mean, they had to gift wrap it and give it to Miami that yep. night. Um, similar to Fateful Third and One. <laughs> yeah, couldn't get a third and one. Uh yeah. And burned a timeout trying to get it, didn't I? Yep. I couldn't even drive when that game was going on. I was at it. That was one of the best <laughs> environments at the time Carolina had. That was when the black jerseys, that was, they had it. It was all set up. Couldn't get a damn third and one. If that's not Carolina football, only I don't the, know what it is. Only the second Thursday night game, right? And you had that game, and then the one four years earlier was when Carolina had that big lead against Florida State and blew it. <laughs> Thursday night games at home have not gone away. They haven't They're, had one. Since, Since right? Then, that's right, yeah. They've all been on the road, and they're always at pit. Yeah. Lately, they have been. Very interesting dynamic. Uh, it's Carolina football, folks. Uh, <laughs> there's a reason that uh, – yeah. Anyway, this didn't happen in a vacuum. These seasons don't happen in a vacuum, I don't think. It's all connected. Anyway, Gregory Hall, appreciate you getting those videos up and handling all the techno stuff. Appreciate folks in the chat not uh, – no imposters to, tonight. No imposters showed up in the chat. Appreciate that. Uh, thought we were going to have to shut chat down a couple weeks ago. Uh, Greg Barnes, appreciate you always bringing the heat and the knowledge. We will talk again tomorrow for the game plan, the Duke game plan podcast with Jason Staples. We'll talk more about some of the things we discussed here. Uh, are we going to do the youth movement in Chapel Hill? Are things going to change? What will happen? Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, Tommy Ashley. It's been On The Beat Live, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. 
So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 